From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you'd like to be part of the program, pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 271 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, Father John Tregilio, how in the world are you? Oh, hanging in there. Got a YouTube question. Forrester is watching on YouTube, and he says, wow. Father, he says, Father John, when did some Christians start rejecting Halloween? Did it coincide with the rejection of purgatory, or did it come later when Halloween became commercialized and less Christian in practice? I think it was a little of both. I know the Puritans uh, were definitely against anything that would even smell or have the hint of the aroma of Catholicism. And certainly the, the All Hallows' Eve, the emphasis was on Hallows' Day, which is All Saints' Day. And so having the, the this vigil of the night before, uh, and then obviously the day after All, All Saints' Day is All Souls' Day. Um, so that was one thing. But also, you know, uh, it became more and more, not just paganized, uh, but also it became, you know, very um, weird, uh, demonic. Um, I mean, I was a kid. We dressed up as Superman, Batman, um, Bullwinkle the Moose, Boris Batnoff, you name it, and we went trick-or-treating, and there was no satanic uh, overtones or undertones. But then as I uh, went to high school seminary, I saw there was a dramatic uh, increase in in the, uh, the occult. And it wasn't just people dressing up as... Bela Lugosi and Dracula, they were dressing up as devils and demons and Freddy Krueger and uh, Jason Myers and all the people from the from the horror movies and that. So uh, I think you've got some elements in the, the Protestant uh, distaste for All Hallows' Eve, which ironically, that's the day uh, Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses on the cathedral wall, okay, uh, cathedral door in, in Wittenberg that uh, started the... the um, uh, Reformation. In fact, it's considered Reformation Day in, in many Protestant circles. But I see that it, there's his historical thing going before, but also more recently because of the huge increase. In fact, I saw a study recently where more Americans spend money on Halloween than any other holiday, even Christmas, in terms of decorations and parties. 
833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Christopher writes in, Is it a mortal sin if there is a scene in a film of a woman who is nude? When you watch a film and scenes like this are unknown to a viewer like myself until you see it. When I see these scenes, I will look away for a few minutes and hopefully the scene will be gone by then. Yeah, the, 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 there's two levels here. The mortal sin, uh, first and foremost, with the producer, the people who made the movie, they did not have to put that scene in there. They could have been you know, either omitted it completely or been more discreet or respectful or whatever. So the fact that they've got naked people in there and they're very obviously they're naked and whether it has anything to do with the plot or not, you do not have to uh, be an occasion of sin. So that's the first element right there. The people who performed in the, in the movie, the people who produced it, everything. And then you've got the, the viewer. Now, if you're not aware of it and it's like you're watching television and there's a show or a movie particularly and some inappropriate scene comes up, you this wasn't premeditated. You weren't planning on seeing that. Therefore, the only time it's a mortal sin is when you intentionally, purposely continue to look at that scene or you're looking for those type of scenes. Uh, you know, Some people fast forward to the suggestive material or they know that the basic uh, theme or uh, topic Subject matter is something impure. Uh, you know, was that one shades of gray and some other things, which it was impure from from beginning to end. But if it's accidental, you're watching some even some of these commercials are uh, soft porn the way they're they're portrayed now. You're not expecting that. At least, I mean, you know, we weren't expecting it uh, when we were growing up, but now it's it's out there. So yes, uh, for it to be a mortal sin, remember you need the three criteria that's you know defined by the Council of Trent. Grave matter, which anything of sexual nature would be, full consent of the will and sufficient knowledge too. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's our toll free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in um, North America. Eight three three two eight eight three nine eight six. Gary writes in: What advantage do the souls in heaven who have a higher degree of glory have over those souls with a low degree of glory? Uh, well, there's not really competition going on in heaven. Um, and so when you're in the possession of the Vietnam vision, you're seeing God face to face, there's no more joy that you could uh, receive. And uh, that's why it's called the beatific vision. Uh, but we want people while they're here on earth, because this is where you, it determines your level of, of glory in heaven. Uh, it's like a balloon. The more air you put into it, the larger it gets. And so the more grace I accept and cooperate and receive, then um, my love of holiness will certainly increase more in heaven. But once you're there, you're not going to be envious of somebody who's, say, closer. I mean, I there's no way the saints are going to be envious of the Blessed Mother because she's the closest one to Jesus or that St. Joe is, is you know, ne next in line. At the same uh, time, we don't want people to, to be satisfied with the lowest common denominator. That, oh, I just got, I just barely got in through the pearly gates. Uh, you know, you want to uh, willingly and aggressively uh, pursue the life of holiness. Mother Angelica said, don't aim for purgatory. <laughs> That's right. If you miss, the consequences are bad. Yes, because you missed that exit. Forget it. 833-288-EWTN. <laughs> That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Does the church teaching regarding matters of faith and morals change over time, Gus would like to know? Well, uh, not the matter. I mean, the, the 
the dogmas of our faith have been um, enunciated, they've been defined. Um, no new dogmas are, are coming out. Now, the old dogmas or doctrines can be explained in a different way to make them more understandable, so that people could appreciate them better, but uh, for instance, like the dogma of the Immaculate Conception or the dogma of the Assumption, the dogma of um, the Real Presence, Transubstantiation, these are things which will never change. Uh, they will always be there, but our appreciation and understanding of them can uh, be tweaked, can be enhanced, or they can be explained in, in a way that's more appropriate for that particular uh, generation. Um, but, you know, like Revelation ended with the death of St. John, uh, divine revealed truth is there. It's just that the church will at times need to solemnly define things which maybe prior to that were always believed, but it wasn't given that extra oomph of having a, a de fide pronouncement. And Sam wants to know, is it true that the particles left by the Eucharist are no longer important? That's absolutely false. If you, If it looks to you, if it appears that these are more likely or probably uh, fragments of what was what we would call consecrated bread or the real presence with the accidents of bread. It's when it's no longer discernible, when it could be dust, it could be uh, any, anything else, then you say, well, my obligation to show reverence all right, ceases once there's serious doubt. But the more prudent thing is if there is a slight doubt, treat it as if it's, it's probably the, the real presence. But we don't want people to become scrupulous because I've known some priests and deacons who almost have an electron microscope up there when they're uh, purifying. And you know, we certainly want people to show reverence, but um, metaphysically speaking, every single particle it remains the real presence. But as St. Thomas Aquinas and others tell us, our obligation to show uh, latria, adoration and worship, only extends to the point where it's discernible to our senses the accidents, the, the appearance uh, is still there as such. I think the confusion sometimes comes from the fact that um, there are instances out there of uh, pretty laissez-faire purification practice. Oh, yeah that's, the, yeah, that's the other end of the spectrum I've seen where you see particles all over the altar, you see uh, stains of precious blood on the, on the linens. That's totally unacceptable. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line, Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, if you're listening to the broadcast today on a local AM or FM radio station, we would certainly encourage you to support the efforts of that group. 
Uh, ain't nobody getting rich in Catholic radio, I'll just tell you. And those <laughs> folks are laboring to bring you this great programming. And uh, if you do not have an AM or FM radio station in your uh, area, then perhaps our Lord is putting a little uh, tug on your heart to maybe uh, look into what it might take to make that happen in your area, if you might be feeling that tug. Um, email Steve, Steve Splonskowski, but... Thanks be to God, you don't have to worry about his last name. Just email <laughs> Steve and uh, Steve. to the address radio at EWTN.com. That's radio at EWTN.com. Attention, Steve, and he can fill you in on what would be involved. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. First up today is Cynthia. She's a first-time caller in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, listening on St. Michael Radio. <laughs> Cynthia, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Oh, thank you, gentlemen. i got a real quick question. We were blessed this weekend that my daughter had said uh, she announced her pregnancy to us. She's recently married. Now she's now she's pregnant with our first. Um Immediately, I went to the EWTN website, and I went to search for prayers for the unborn, and I had zero results. I had prayers for newly conceived and zero results. So I was calling to see if, if you had another term I could use to find out some prayers I could pray for the health of the baby until birth and at her as well. Yes, uh, I'm not aware of what the vast... Uh, array of things we have available online but I do know an easy one is to pray to St. Gerard he's a patron saint uh, of pregnant mothers of mothers who want to become pregnant and those who are currently pregnant and during the term of their pregnancy so uh, saying a prayer to St. Gerard and there's certainly uh, novenas there's litanies to St. Gerard that you could find helpful um, I don't know what other terminology you could use um, you might even want to, you know, look at things like uh, Priest for Life or, um, you know, like we just had a, a wonderful pro-life dinner in, here in, in Harrisburg at my diocese. Raymond Arroyo was one of the speakers. It's the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. So if you go to a, whatever the state um, you live in, their Pro-Life Federation might have some resources there, some uh, available prayers. But you don't need to have set prayers. You could just, you know, pray spontaneously on your own, but I would definitely address this first to uh, St. Gerard and the Blessed Mother. <laughs> she knows she was uh, pregnant with Jesus for nine months, so you know she knows well <laughs> as, as anybody from uh, experience. God bless you, Cynthia, and you've done a great thing by calling today because you'll have a whole bunch of our listeners praying for that new grandbaby. Yes, congratulations. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 833- 288-3986. Al is in Yakima, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Al, you are on with Father John Tregilio, who apparently thinks that Yakima, Washington is hysterical. <laughs> Hi. Um, my question is, if, if the Catholic Church put the Bible together, can they patent so that the Protestants cannot use it, teaching false doctrine? Uh. Yeah, I, there's no way the Catholic Church could patent the Bible just knowing the patent laws of, of the United States. Or copyright it, for that matter. <laughs> or copyright, yes. Because, uh, first of all, we're not the author. The Holy Spirit uh, was the one who divinely inspired uh, all the sacred authors, uh, from Moses to David to uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so forth. 
So uh, if anything, the, the church was uh, the editor, uh, the publisher, but uh, not the author. And uh, as far as I know, that's who gets the, the copyright. And, and uh, patents are more for things that you make, like devices and things like that, whereas copyright, like have a copyright on, on the book, but I can I wrote Catholicism for Dummies. That's what, what an author can get and has. Um, but uh, yeah, with this, and so the Bible is for everyone. So it, even though the magisterium has been given to us by Jesus to authentically interpret, uh, it is made available. That's why Jesus said, go to the four corners of the earth, spreading the good news. Unlike Gnosticism, which wanted to keep everything secret and only a few would know what was going on. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Rita's watching us on YouTube, and she says, Father, I heard a few Protestant preachers say that faith without works is not. How, is, how, is, how does this work in the Catholic faith? Well, that's what St. James said, faith without works is, is, is uh, nothing. Um, it's not a battle of either or. Pope Benedict of Happy Memory used to often say, and I tell this to my seminarians in all my classes, if they don't get nothing else, this is one thing I want them to always repeat. Catholicism is not either or, it's both and. And so it's both faith and works, because both of them are motivated and empowered by divine grace. So without grace, you're not going to have faith. And without grace, you're not going to be able to perform any good works. We need what we call actual, actual grace in order to uh, do good works we need sanctifying grace in order to be able to uh, receive the gift of faith. Uh, so if you have faith but no works, then your, your faith is shallow, as St. James said. But equally, you know, if you just do uh, good things but have no faith, then it's like Pelagianism, which was condemned by the church as well. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Uh, Michelle writes in, I'm feeling bad that I am scheduled to work on Sundays. I always attend Mass on Saturday night for Sunday. I'm afraid I'm committing a grave sin by working on Sunday, and even though I go on Saturday night, I feel I'm doing something wrong. Now, if you read um, Pope, uh, Pope St. John Paul's encyclical letter, Dies Domini, uh, which is Day of the Lord, which is what we refer to as Sunday, uh, the obligation to refrain from servile work applied to those in which they have the capacity uh, to do that. In other words, if you have a job and your job depends on you being there, uh, obviously if you're, a, uh, if you're in the police, the fire department, the military, uh, hospital, even the restaurant industry, okay, you need to work. And people need that service provided because obviously even in a restaurant area, not everybody can cook, uh, not everybody should cook. And so you're providing uh, something that's needed but if you have the option, if the uh, alternative is to avoid uh, going to work on Sunday, uh, definitely, you know, the preference would be um, to take Sunday as the day of rest. But not all employment works that way. I mean, when I was growing up, we had what we call the Pennsylvania Blue Laws, where almost every single business had to shut down on Sunday, at least for Sunday morning, uh, unless you were of absolute necessity, like uh, the pharmacy and things like that. Those are all gone which, you know, I don't have no political uh, alliance with either way of that. But uh, as Catholics, it's refraining from servile work, which is odious things I could have done, should have done on a different day, but I put them off purposely 
intentionally to Sunday. So all the chores I do not like to do, which I could have done on Saturday, I put off till Sunday is wrong. But if this is your job and you have no option, as opposed to the employer says, look, you know, I need you to work these five days, you pick which five days, then you should say, well, then I have to avoid Sunday because it's, it's the day of the Lord. 833-288-EWTN. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Aaron says, I have a friend of mine who's a strong Christian and I'm a strong Catholic. He doesn't see much of a difference between the two, but I see that they don't believe in the saints. Could you help me out on how the two are different? Okay, well, first I would say, to clarify, Catholics are Christian. Uh, a lot of times Christians say, well, I'm Christian, you're Catholic. No, uh, Christian is is the, the generic term for anyone who believes that Christ is the Son of God, is the Savior who died for our sins and rose from the dead. You've got Catholic Christians, Protestant Christians, and Eastern Orthodox Christians. Uh, so there is a, a, a difference between Catholic Christians and Protestant tradition, or Catholic, uh, Protestant tra- um, Christians in that they do not recognize the intercessory uh, component of the saints, but they even use the word saint. They talk about Saint Paul, Saint Matthew, Saint Luke. Uh, so there is this distinction that that term denotes something that these people are uh, lived holy lives and now they're in heaven. What they re- uh, do not ascribe to is the intercessory prayer, which we make very clear, as does uh, Saint Paul too. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ, because he is God and man. But there are many intercessors who go to the one mediator. And we see this evident in the New Testament, where other people went to Jesus on behalf of someone else. And no point did Jesus say to, you know, to Jairus, hey, if your little girl wants to get better, have her come directly to me. You, you, you know, I don't need you. He didn't say that. So intercession to the one mediator is uh, allowed and is encouraged. St. Paul asked for prayers. He prayed for the Ephesians and Colossians and Corinthians. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing. It's just that the intercessors are going to the one mediator. Uh, Rita writes in, My son recently contacted the bishop and expressed his desire to leave the Catholic Church. Is this possible? What does that mean? He fell away through the years, although we still had some kind of dialogue, but nothing on this. Needless to say, my heart is hurt. I would say pray. Uh, pray to um, uh, St. Monica, who was the mother of St. Augustine. Uh, she was praying 30 years for her wayward son and for her husband. Um, there's no, not, I mean, you're not going to argue him out of it. And a letter to the bishop has really no bearing because if somebody refutes, repudiates, uh, denounces the faith, um, it's not a good thing. Uh, but according to canon law, you never cease being a Catholic. So uh, if someone does leave the Catholic Church, they're still bound by the, the rules. And so uh, you know, for it to be a valid marriage, they need to be married by a priest or a deacon. But in many cases, since they left the church, they feel there's no need to you know, um, follow that anymore. Even someone's excommunicated is not without, is beyond the, the mercy and jurisdiction of the church because the purpose of, of excommunication is for someone to hopefully come back after they repent. We've got wide open phone lines for you on this open line Monday. Pick up the phone and give us a call with your question about the Catholic faith. The numbers are 833-288-EWTN. That is a free telephone call. 
anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is one 205 271 2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line and if you'd like to send us an email you can do that email address is openline at ewtn.com 833-288-EWTN that's 833-288-3986 it's open line Monday with Father Tregilio This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is the great state of Rhode Island. Jody is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jody, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hey, Father John, thank you for taking my call. Thank you for everything you're doing. Um, just two questions there. Um, very different. The first one is, in adoration, when I do a holy hour, let's say it's for a priest, what are your recommendations for uh, what I should and shouldn't do during that time? And then secondly, um, separate question, um, the, the Synod of Bishops I know has just completed. What is the next step um, concerning, um, now that that's completed, what, what happens next? Okay, I'll deal with the easy one first. At the holy hour. Um, certainly what you do at the holy hour is up to you, but if you're offering up your holy hour, particularly for priests, which I think is wonderful, uh, I encourage that completely. We priests need desperately uh, people praying for us uh, and praying for priests uh, to keep us on the straight and narrow and also to pray for an increase of vocations. So praying the rosary during your holy hour, uh, you could pray in one of the... Uh, Liturgy of the Hours, uh, you know, daytime prayer, evening prayer, morning prayer, whatever. Um, Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, reading some passages from Sacred Scripture, uh, maybe even looking at the Gospel for the upcoming day, the, the following day, uh, Lives of the Saints. Uh, also having some uh, quiet time, just quiet time with, with the Lord, where you're not necessarily thinking of anything particular, but you're just drinking in, enjoying His presence. And then also just, you know, uh, being, expressing your gratitude for all the blessings, uh, God. But also because you're praying for a priest, think about all the priests who have positively influenced your life and your faith, and especially those who have passed away. Because one of the things that's um, kind of sad is when priests die, we, we don't have a family, a, a wife and kids and grandchildren that will pray for our soul after we're gone. And, uh, you know, we, I think there's a a lot of us, I hope, are in purgatory at least. Uh, those prayers can be helpful. So you can do that as part of your holy hour. 833-288-EWTN. couple of open lines for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Mark is a first-time caller in the great state of Wisconsin, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mark, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Hello. Yes, my question is, how is there not 
a break in an apostolic secession throughout the years when there was the great schism. There was uh, one point in time and there was three popes. And just uh, was wanting to know the best way to answer that. Thank you. Okay, that's that's a very good question. Um, when we had the, the, the great schism, or uh, sometimes just called the Western schism, where there were three claimants uh, to the papacy, and a uh, little background on this, for 70 years, the popes, the bishop of Rome, uh, moved from Rome temporarily to Avignon, France, because Rome had become too dangerous. It was a cesspool. It stunk. It was dangerous. All number of things. And uh, there was just no protection for the pope. So he had property in France, and he moved there for safety's sake. But then, uh, after he died, uh, the cardinals, uh, with a little leverage from the king of France, start electing French cardinals as the pope, as the bishop of Rome, and they had no desire to go back there. So for 70 years, uh, the popes, who were still always the bishop of Rome, lived at Avignon, and then someone like Catherine of Siena, St. Catherine, went and convinced Pope Gregory, hey, you belong in Rome. That's where you're the bishop, and you need to be there, because the bishop of Rome as simultaneously uh, the, the, the pope, the Roman pontiff. So when he comes back, after he dies... Uh, you know, they want to elect another Frenchman so he can move back to France. And the Italians, being how we are, pried the roof off the conclave and shouted at the cardinals, you better give us an Italian, all right, or you're not leaving here alive. So they very hastily uh, voted for uh, a man whose name was Urban. He was kind of old, and they figured, oh, uh, by the time we get back to France, he'll be dead, and we can have another conclave, and we'll elect another French guy. Well, Urban pepped right up and started reforming, uh, you know, clamping down on, on abuses and that. And uh, after that happened, then you had uh, the, the uh, bishops or the cardinals in Avignon, France said, well, we were under duress, which, you know, wouldn't have affected the election anyway, but they elected their own anti-pope in Avignon. And then you had Pisa, they elected their own pope. So at one time you had three guys claiming to be pope, but the key issue here is that there was no break of apostolic succession because the guy who was the bishop of Rome was the true pope. He uh, willingly resigned. The other two were deposed. And then he was succeeded by another pope uh, who then was um, lawfully elected and then continued to live in Rome. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. David is in Seattle, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. David, you're on with Father John Trujillo. Yes, I enjoy your show, and I had a biblical question when the uh, good thief uh, died, and uh, Jesus said he would be with him that day in paradise. And I was wondering if that's a true story, if you could explain it, and I'll listen to the answer off the air. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, the good thief is often known as Saint Dismas. Uh, just parenthetically, the bad thief, as the uh, it's not sacred tradition, but pious tradition, his name was Justus, uh, G E S T A S. But Saint Dismas is known as the good thief. And when Jesus says to him, which we believe, uh, you know, is actually because the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, this is in the Gospel. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We believe Jesus actually said that this day you'll be with me in paradise. Um, that that guy did go to heaven that day. Now, it doesn't mean that he avoided any purgatory because purgatory is not uh, chronological time. It's it's a state, and maybe his suffering on the cross because he, he was crucified along with Jesus could have been his purgatory. But in any event, uh, we believe that that actually happened, 
and that uh, Jesus promised me because he made that act of faith. He said, you know, to the other bad thief who said, come off the cross, take us with you. And he said, no, we're here because we deserve it. We, we were bad. This man is innocent. And then he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He uh, affirmed that Jesus was the king of kings and Lord of lords. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still a couple of lines open at 833-288-3986. Next stop is Omaha, Nebraska. Eric is a first-time caller at listening, rather, on Spirit Catholic Radio. Eric, you're on with Father Tregilio. Yeah, I'm a Lutheran, and I often go to Catholic Church with my family, but... uh... I was wondering, during the sacrament of communion at Lutheran Church, we take the body and blood, and I I only see the Catholics taking the body up front, and then the priest has the blood. And I was just wondering why. Okay, that that's a very good question, and it um, actually, the reason why we predominantly only give out the sacred host, uh, although the option is, is at the discretion of the bishop and the pastor of having both sacred species, uh, it was Martin Luther, whom I'm sure you're, you're uh, uh, well uh, acquainted with. Martin Luther said that the, the faithful must receive both the consecrated bread and the consecrated wine, both sacred species. And Trent said, no, they don't have to because in one is both. Uh, the separate consecrations, uh, you know, uh, celebrate the, the fact that Jesus died on Good Friday, but he was he didn't remain dead. He rose on Easter Sunday. So at communion time. We're receiving the risen body and blood of Christ. So the, the doctrine of concomitance is that in either one of the sacred species, in either one drop of the precious blood or one fragment of the sacred host, is the whole Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And to get that at home with the Catholic faithful, especially because um, not just Martin Luther, but some of the many of the other Protestant reformers said that you the people had to get both said, no, that wasn't necessary. It didn't forbid, but it uh, it suggested that uh, certainly I, as a priest, I must receive both because I'm the one offering the sacrifice. I must complete the, the sacrifice and the sacrament by consuming both. But we have people who are uh, have gluten intolerance or celiac, and they're, and they're not able to consume uh, those special hosts. Uh, I've been in many parishes where uh, they've been given just the precious blood in those special cases. Um, but uh, when Catholics say they're getting only getting half a communion, we don't see it that way. Uh, we see that both sacred species contain the fullness of Christ. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Still time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us tomorrow morning for Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Tomorrow she's joined by Alec Torres co-author of Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crisis in the Church. He shares some of the many saints who endured much for the faith. And Lewis Brown, the vice president um, of public policy for the Catholic Healthcare Leadership Alliance and director of the newly formed Public Policy and Advocacy uh, Institute, as he informs our listeners of how a new initiative from the CHCLA, which promotes Healthcare consistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. That's Catholic Connection tomorrow with Teresa Tamio right here on EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Crystal's watching us on YouTube. 
And she wants to know, Father, can you give a brief summary on the dilemma of the filioque between Catholics and Orthodox <laughs> Christians? Wow. Okay. This is, you know, it's like explaining relativity. Okay. Um, the Nicene Creed, and also known as the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, because it incorporates both the Council of Constantinople as well as the Council of Nicaea. There's that part of the creed where it talks about uh, the procession of the Holy Spirit and the original creed from the council said that the Holy Spirit recedes from the Father. Uh, the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, the Roman Pontiff, Supreme Head of the Church, uh, added the, the, the word filioque, which in Latin means and the Son, so that we say now, uh, especially in, in the Latin rite, uh, the, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, the Orthodox, Orthodox Christians, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, and all the other um, uh, flavors of that, they insisted that that was improper. But remember, Jesus gave the fullness of authority, supreme, full, immediate, universal, to the Bishop of Rome, the Supreme Pontiff. So even though this was a, a, a statement of the Council, he had the authority to line item veto things, to insert things, uh, because... Uh, the infallibility, cares of fallibility, goes to um, the Bishop of Rome and to the bishops in union with him when they are together at an ecumenical council. So his addition to that was not uh, any violation, at least from, from our perspective. I know the Orthodox feel otherwise, but we're not diminishing the Holy Spirit as one of the equal. All three persons of the Holy Trinity are equal. They all have the same, one and the same uh, divine nature, the same divine intellect, same divine will. Uh, there are three persons, one God. There are persons who are uh, distinct but not separate. So when we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, that's not in any way insulting because the Father and Son love each other so perfectly, so infinitely, that the Holy Spirit is spirated from that mutual love. So it's not saying, oh, the Holy Spirit is inferior, he's third man out or the third wheel, <laughs> all three persons are equal to each other. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. We head now, Father, to your home diocese. Mike is a first-time caller in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, listening on Holy Family Radio. Mike, you're on with Father Tregilio. Yeah, hi, Father John. Uh... I used to go to your uh, Our Lady of Good Counsel there in Marysville when you were there, and uh, I uh, I was wondering uh, how do you dealt with all the, the all the problems of death in your family with your brothers and stuff. And uh, I've had the same problem right now with my brother who's passed away recently. And we're really close. It's really tough. And uh, how how did you deal with it? Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you called. I'm going to be praying for you and for the proposal of your brother. Um, we just heard. Uh, this weekend, a priest who used to teach at the seminary, Father Lee Gross, passed away and was a wonderful influence on, on the seminarians. I found, um, you know, especially the gospel of Mary um, and Martha when Jesus comes at the tomb of Lazarus, that was very consoling to me and my family. I used it at the funeral for both my mom and dad and my two brothers who were younger, and, and one was killed by a drunk driver, one was died of um, muscular dystrophy. That gospel helped me because it shows Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus, uh, which shows a sign of love, and there wasn't any defect in Jesus, obviously, but also that he you know, raised him from the dead, which Jesus will do at the end of time uh, to all of us. Uh, 
But I also found a book by Father Benedict Rochelle of Happy Memory, Arise from Darkness, What to Do When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And many times when you ask yourself, like when my brother was killed by a drunk driver, why? Why did this happen? Why did it have to happen this way? Why now? We don't know. And Father Benedict came with this beautiful insight. Faith doesn't give us all the answers, but faith gives us the strength and courage to endure unanswered questions. So rather than asking why, because even if we did get the answer, it wouldn't bring them back from the dead, Mother Teresa said we should ask a better question. Who? Who's the one person that can get us through this hour of darkness, this hour of sadness? It's Jesus Christ. And if he wept at Lazarus's uh, tomb, you and I can weep at the tomb of our loved ones. And yet, because of what we believe in the communion of saints, guess what? Their soul is immortal. Their soul never dies. And whether they're in purgatory or, God willing, already in heaven, they're praying for us, and that's a consolation. And then we look forward, hopefully, uh, to that reunion, because Jesus said, in my Father's house are many, many rooms. I'm going to go and take you with me. That's consoling. It's that momentary um, absence of our loved ones that we feel, which we should. I mean, if you don't miss your loved one, there's something wrong with you. And yet we don't uh, give in to despair or discouragement because we know they've gone to a better place, we're hoping. How's that, Mike? That's very good, Father, and uh, hopefully I'll see you again at Our Lady Good Catholic. We're going to make it back there to say Mass or anything. Thank you. I intend to do that. 833-288-EWTN. Linda is up next, another first-time caller in Beaver Creek, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Linda, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Um, I have a question because I hang around with a lot of non-Catholics, and this is something they ask me. They're always trying to put the Blessed Mother down all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't always have all the answers. I answer their questions like I'm, I'm not like fully informed, but I... I figure God will take care of the rest. But I was looking at Luke 2, and it was talking in 22 through 46 about his Jesus' presentation in the temple. His mom and dad presented him as the law was. And then verse 35 always gets me like, what are they saying? And that's the one where he, Simeon said, and who uh, a sword shall pierce your heart. And I wanted to know what that means. Okay, that's excellent, uh... Uh, that uh, moment, which is um, certainly one of the sorrows of Our Lady, the seven sorrows, uh, at the presentation when the prophet Simeon said and prophesied to Mary, and a sword will pierce your heart. Remember, he says uh, previous to that, uh, this son of yours will be the rise and downfall of many uh, in Israel. Pope John Paul used to coin the phrase, the sign of contradiction, uh, the sign of ignominy, uh, being crucified, which was reserved for uh, horrible criminals, would become the sign of salvation. And a sword will pierce your heart. It's addressed to Mary. It's it's more than just symbolism, uh, because Mary is at the foot of the cross. Longinus thrusts the spear, okay, into our Lord's uh, sacred heart after he had died. And you can imagine any mother, but especially the Blessed Mother, watching her own son hang on that cross for three hours, seeing that he had been scourged, crowned of thorns, nails in his hands and feet, but then watching that horrible act of the sword, the, this, um, the spear piercing physically Jesus' heart, Mary has the emotional equivalent. I remember when my brothers, both my brothers died, my mother, like any mother, was just overwrought with, with grief and sadness 
which at that moment I could I, I, I just appreciate that all the things Jesus went through, the nails, the scourging, I think the more intense pain was when he saw, looking down at his mother, the sorrow and pain he was causing her by his suffering. And I, would, I felt totally helpless. I couldn't do anything for my mother, just be there in the same way that you know, Jesus couldn't take away the sadness of his, of his mother. She couldn't take away any of his suffering. So that's what that uh, prophecy meant, was that a sword will, would pierce her heart. And believe me, I'm sure she thought about that every day of her life until Good Friday, because he didn't explain to her that's when it was going to take place. He just said, a sword will pierce your heart. And something like that, a mother never forgets. And remember, one of the three gifts of the, of the Magi, the three kings, was myrrh which is something you put on dead people to prepare them for burial. You know, imagine she's thinking, what's, what's this all about? So Our Lady's Sword of Sorrow, her uh, Immaculate Heart, is intimately connected to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. How's that, Linda? That is beautiful. Thank you so much. I deeply appreciate it, Father. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN could probably squeeze in another phone call if you pick up the phone and call us right now at 833-288-3986. Aaron wants to know, is it true that two people can confer the sacrament of marriage upon one another in the absence of clergy? Uh, Well, um, for Catholics, you need to have an official witness the priest or deacon or bishop, or through a dispensation, uh, you can have it a Protestant minister, uh, justice of the peace, Captain Stubing on the love boat or whatever. Uh, but Catholics need to follow what we call canonical form. If a priest is not available, a layperson, a catechist, can be the official witness. But that's part of the deal is that, yes, the husband and wife marry each other. The priest isn't marrying them. He's officiating. He's the witness for the church. But in the absence of the priest or deacon or bishop who are ordained, and they're the the regular minister of that sacrament, a layperson can be delegated or deputed, but people on their own can't just marry themselves. I mean, or, or affect the sacrament uh, by themselves. But in the because Protestant uh, Christians are not totally under our jurisdiction canonically, they can get married almost any, any way that they want, and we recognize that. Leanne wants to know, why does the Catholic Church say that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute? What, differ- <laughs> what difference does it make? It makes no difference, and it was never a teaching of the Church. It was that a Pope speculated, and I think what Fulton J. Sheen said of happy memory was very applicable. To whom much is given, much is expected, and much is, is appreciated. If Mary Magdalene was indeed a prostitute, if she was the woman that they were going to stone because of adultery, and he spared her life. Don't you think she would be the most grateful that Jesus not just spared her life, but spared her her soul? So it, it would not be in violation of integrity if she was that Mary. Now, scriptures say she was the Mary who was plagued by seven demons. Was she the Mary who was the, the sister of Lazarus and Martha? We don't know. Was she the woman uh, caught in adultery? We don't know. But uh, one of the Pope Gregory's speculated and I liked Fulton Sheen's uh, explanation as well, but it's not dogma or doctrine that you must accept that. Uh, Arnold wants to know, why do Catholics treat the deuterocanonical books as Scripture while Protestants and Jews do not? Because we accepted them, and so did Christianity, until Martin Luther uh, in the 16th century threw them out. Uh, for 1,500 years, they were considered 
part of Scripture. Now, Deuteronomy just means second, second canon. It, we don't call it Apocrypha. We never called it Apocrypha. Protestant uh, Christians after 1517, okay, after Martin Luther called it Apocrypha, but we always called it the second canon, which was considered inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's just that those seven books were written in Greek during the diaspora when three-fourths or more of the world's Jews spoke more Greek than Hebrew. So those books that were written in Hebrew, and this is before Christ, were considered part of Scripture. They were just never written originally in Hebrew. Then they were translated, I mean, the other Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek, and these uh, seven books were put in what they call the Septuagint, uh, which is uh, written by 70 scholars uh, around 250 B.C., Brian wants to know where in the Bible is the teaching that the original that the original sin meant the loss of sanctifying grace. Well, it's not explicitly said in that phrase, but neither is the word Bible in the Bible. So the concept is there is because when when Adam and Eve were, were expelled from the garden, and God said, "And now you shall experience death and toil and labor shall you work." So all the sufferings uh, came about physically, but also. The, last, the loss of sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is what gets you into heaven. And so if they didn't lose sanctifying grace, there would have been no need for a Messiah, a Savior, or Redeemer. But since that's what Jesus came to do, and he restored, and uh, we get sanctifying grace when we're baptized, we're born again of water and the Spirit, uh, that's what happens. Original sin is washed away. Sanctifying grace is poured into the soul. And finally, David wants to know why we don't baptize babies in the womb. We don't baptize in the womb because, one, it's difficult to do something like that. Uh, and secondly, it's always after birth, okay? Um, now, I've had friends of mine who were hospital chaplains. I was a hospital chaplain for a year. I never had to have that sort of situation. But uh, a baptism could take place in Europe, but only under absolute emergency uh, circumstances. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with our very own Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes. Until then, God bless.